Hello, Caitlin. <laughs> is it weird when I call you Caitlin? Does that little, sound weird to you? It is a little weird. I don't mind it as much as when we say Jennifer and that seems like she's in trouble. I don't feel like I'm in trouble when somebody calls me Caitlin. But no, me specifically, you not sp- just in general, just but in when general. I specifically say it a little bit, it's a little bit weird, but Most it's not people- weird if I call you Emily, right? Do I say your name very often? No, but when you refer to me to other people, you say M 90% of the time uh-huh. when you're, which I mean, I refer, I don't think I ever call you Caitlin to other people <laughs> and you 90% of the time call me M to other people. Yeah, that's true. But it's not, but I think I, it's not as weird. You guys names. I know. We could go into are funny. This. So Caitlin here with Emily Gibson, <laughs> um, hosting the TV campfire, but it does make me think it's interesting. She would have to correct us, but one of our panelists, Maggie Phillips, her name is Marguerite and on credits, she's often Marguerite or like on IMDb, she's Marguerite, but like, I don't know. Is she? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. That's re- It is really funny. I do think that there are, it's interesting the people that go by different names in their credit names. Yeah. The one that I always think about is Jonah Nolan. Oh yeah. Because you got it. <laughs> I, for so long. So Jonathan Nolan, one of the creators and producers of Westworld and many other things, because I am not friends with him. Just a disclaimer. We've but, only met him twice. Uh, yeah. But we have people in the same orbit that are very close to him that we are close to. Mm-hmm. And because they always refer to him as Jonah. And I guess I just never seen his name written anywhere. I just thought his name was Jonah Nolan. And I remember being somewhere and referring to Jonah and someone being like, Oh, Oh. Jonah. And I was like, is that not his name? What is his name? And they're like, his name is Jonathan. And I literally had no idea. And now this is like the Bobs and the Bobbies of the Robert Redfords and De Niro's, but the people who like actually know them, like that is their name. I forget which one's Bob's and which one's Bobby, but Anyhow, you guys, we digress. Uh, welcome Thanks. back to the TV campfire, uh, season 11 releases. Today's release is the last note. Um, and a little bit of background on this panel. So we love to do the festivals made up of writers, producers, directors. This year we had costume designers, production designers. We often have casting directors. We love music. In fact, for those of you, again, another digression, when I first had the idea of the festival, which was all mine for about a week, it was, I said to Emily, should have just left it with you. Just kidding. (laughs) Emily offered at the beginning to do the music portion of the TV festival. I will do the the music on TV. And after about a week, she was like, we could do this. We could do that. I just weed my way into your idea and I made her do everything. And I will, it is funny. I feel that there's kind of, two careers that people at some point in time say they want many people at some point in time wanted to be a marine biologist. That was me. I know. Same. <laughs> I didn't realize I thought it was a little more unique. It is not. It is not. It's dolphins. Not. Most my people way at some point in time, that was a childhood dream, whatnot. Sorry if you're someone out there that thought you were special. It's still a cool career that yeah. none of us have, yep. but in the industry, the amount of people that say at some point they wanted to be a music supervisor. And then obviously life didn't take them that direction. I think what's so interesting about these panels is they're, these people are so cool and what they do is cool. There's a lot of things in this job that is not cool. And not to say. Fun. So of the three panelists, which, um, on this panel, the last note is Liza Richardson, who had been to the very first festival yes. for Friday night lights and parenthood and, and parenthood. Oh, she did do both panels the first year she did both panels. Um, which I really am still excited that we put a music supervisor on like our very first panel that had like casting and writing. I mean, had not casting, had, uh, actors, Jason Kadoms for Friday night lights yeah. and Parenthood, both Jason and Liza are tight as you might imagine. Um, she also, for those in LA specifically is a big deal because she hosts KCRWs. Oh, morning becomes eclectic. There well, you go. was one of the shows at some point, but she, I discovered so much music because of her. Yeah. She's just, and it is really cool when people figure out that she's one in the same for LA people who listen to KCRW are like, Oh my God, it's like, 
as I say this, I now am fact checking myself and I don't know if she hosted morning becomes eclectic. I'm sure there's someone out there that's listening and that is correcting me in their heads. Yeah. But if not, she obviously did host a lot on KCRW and is just so cool. She's so cool. Um, and then we have, so she had been to the festival before we have Jen Malone, who was new to our orbit, but came through us, came to us through Maggie Phillips, um, who is having like the biggest year ever as she music supervises euphoria and yellow jackets, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Insane. And then Maggie Phillips, who we met because of Fargo, but she's an Austin native and has become a friend. And she most recently did the dropout and the great, but does like everything else. That's cool. Um, but these three women specifically were, are the coolest people that you want to hang out with. I also added that onto our notes that mm-hmm. you obviously mm-hmm. can't see. Um, Liza did the summer I turned pretty, which has, we all just, watched. which we all just watched and loved. Uh, it's a beautiful a coming of age show and the music is insane. Also there's about a hundred, I know that's an exaggeration, uh, Taylor Swift songs in it. And I just can't imagine. Yeah. Well, so that was going to be what I was going to say. I don't know how much they get into it on the panel, but every time my brother is one of the people, but I've witnessed a lot of people to go back to what you were first saying, approach Maggie and say, Oh, you're a music supervisor. I've always wanted to have that job. And she immediately is like, it's not as cool as you think it is. It's a lot (laughs) of paperwork. And so the idea that yes, there is the collaboration and very close knit relationships between the music supervisor and usually the showrunner creator on those placements, but so much of their job and their team's job is getting approvals, negotiating prices. Can they get it? If they can't get it, what are substitutes? So there is a creative side to it, but I think the thing that nobody thinks about when they think about this job is the like paperwork. Yes. That you have a budget that you have to meet and hit. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of feelings and emotions because as we all do, a director, producer, writer has a perfect song in their mind for a scene. And that song just may not be possible. Just may not be. What happens when it's not. Correct. Uh, I think it's fun in this, that this is obviously a, is it below the line? Yeah, it is. Consider below the line panel, which sounds, I don't like that phrase, but I know that it's just an industry standard. We have a lot of phrases. We don't, I don't like the referring to talent when it only is actors because they're all talented. Absolutely. These are three very talented women. So the talent talent. on this panel, (laughs) um, people were so excited pre-festival about this panel. And it was one of the top ones that we would hear. People were so excited to go to. They love these shows. They absolutely noticed the music. And then coming out of the festival, one of the ones that people are still talking about in a, it was such a great conversation. They want it extended. They want more Mm -hmm. of these conversations. So I think something that cool that is happening very soon is Maggie is going to join me for a virtual coffee with our members Yep. so that they, cause so our membership program, if you don't know, is our subscription-based program where we do multiple events per month, mainly virtual, um, all via Zoom where mm-hmm. people sign on and we just talk about TV and how much we love it. And we do TV watch clubs where we watch the pilot of something and then come and discuss it like a book club, but better because it's TV. And then we have special guests. We're going to do one with Dan Feinberg from the Hollywood Reporter about Emmys and Emmy nominations cool. coming up soon. He was also very requested by our members. Um, but because they were so elated by this conversation post-festival, I've asked Maggie to come join us so they can continue to ask all the questions. That's awesome. And yeah. if anybody is interested about how to join and become a member, we've got monthly. Yes, we have monthly, quarterly, and annual subscriptions. Which is awesome. So yes. you can have a, you know, a month to try it out and see if you like it and then, you know, go from there. But yeah, we're, I'm so excited about this panel because it was one that came from me really watching these shows because I loved all of them and shazamming really specifically the last song, like the credit song. Were you uh, actually shazamming? Is I, that? Yeah. I think I still shazam a lot. it. Yeah, totally. Um, specifically on the great with Maggie, because the great had mostly score, but then the credit song would be a song song. Um, and then Jen was telling me that in euphoria, they were dropping new songs in the credits, mm-hmm. like brand new ones. 
Um, and so it was specifically about like, how do you pick that last note? How do you pick that last song? But obviously these songs, I mean, songs in these shows were just such the topic of conversation and to brag a little bit coming from a lot of our partners, um, HBO, Showtime, Hulu. And so it was just really exciting to very organically have it all come together. Both panelists we'd had before, friends, new people getting Jen to come, you know, we made her a margarita and sent her out there. Hopefully she comes <laughs> back. Um, so it was just really great. And so it's exciting that it's now in our member program and a bunch of other things, because we will have more of these conversations. And it's moderated by Ben Travers of IndieWire, who we love, who is one of our favorites and one of the people that hadn't seen in three years because of the pandemic and talk about, we're obviously very excited <laughs> to meet panelists and see panelists. We talked to last week about our last podcast about Robin Thede and how she was a person that we had only met virtually and finally got to meet in person. Ben is one of those people that we love so much. And he was definitely at the top of my list of seeing in person again, because he's just the best and, and an incredible moderator on top say, of that. These conversations specifically, he often does, I mean, he does our marquee events, but he also does casting and music and he does so well with talking about these specific conversations and making sure that we stay on topic. <laughs> and, <laughs> very hard for people to do. It is very hard. So with that, please enjoy the last note. We're just going to jump right in. Everybody feeling good? Everybody glad to be here? That's the spirit. It's, uh, it's 11.25. We're very close to noon. It's a Friday. It's a festival. We are in Austin. Exactly. That's, you're, you're in it. Uh, and no, is mine? Yeah, testing. I'm, and also, I was really nervous. It's I. This is my first panel since the pandemic. So, uh, same. Yeah, same. Yeah, me too. The tequila helped. I've, I've just been inside for like two years now, so this will be raw for all of us. But we're gonna have a good time. Um, the first thing I wanted to honestly just start with was kind of talking about what I feel is a common misconception about what music supervisors do. Um, I feel like there's so much that goes into your job, so much that goes into like the responsibilities and, and how much you work with the teams and how much you work to get everything that needs to be done done. Um, so to start with, I just kind of wanted to ask, uh, Maggie, we'll start with you. Um, how would you describe or define your position? Like when, you're, when somebody just comes up and asks you, like, what do you do? What is a music supervisor? Like, what do you tell them? Uh, I say I'm in charge of the soundtrack. And I think, I mean, that's the easiest way to explain it. And then if I want to go down the further, I'll say I pick and place or I help to pick and place the songs you hear in TV shows and movies. And then when they say, oh, that sounds so cool, I say, it's not as cool as it sounds. <laughs> and, and then I for, go further and say, you know, that also means I'm in charge of all the musical rights and licensing and it's a lot of paperwork and it's a, it's a, lot, of, a lot of work. And we deal with budgets and spreadsheets and... Uh, a lot of people, um, and uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's where I start, and that's where I go, and it depends on if they want to know more or if they want me to shut up at that point. <laughs> uh, Jen, is there, like, a common misconception that you run into about what people think that you do for, like, in that role, in that job, like, after you tell them, I'm a music supervisor, do you feel like they get the wrong impression about anything in particular? Yeah, they think that we sit around all day and listen to music. I make cool playlists and just have really good taste. And, you know, to piggyback off of Maggie, because uh, I think sometimes we don't realize how much we do and what we're responsible for. We're one of the very few department heads, we're the heads of music, that are on from the script stage all the way to the final delivery of the final episode. So we're working alongside production with script changes. We have to look at every draft that comes out because if there's something that's scripted in, somebody sings a line of a song, or there's a karaoke scene, or you know, I think we've all had huge music moments, a band on screen. I mean, I don't know how many of you've dealt with that. They just don't go show up to set and start playing a song live. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. Um, you know, speaking from experience in the finale of um, Euphoria, there was a huge musical number, a marching band, a choir, a choreographer, like it was gigantic. And that was like a six week situation. So when people are like, oh, you know, when 
people on Twitter, it's my favorite thing, like, I'd be really good at that job. I'm like, okay, so you get a script and your director says, I want a musical number in the finale. Yeah, that seems. And then, and seems then I easy. just say bye. <laughs> Good luck. Like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Everybody knows how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Liza, I mean, we've talked a little bit about this before, but uh, when it comes to when it comes to those kind of nitty gritty aspects of the job, um, is there anything that you like try to highlight to people as a skill you'd want them to know before? getting involved, like if somebody reached out to you and was like, you know, I think I would be good at this, and they mean it in the right way, they mean it in a, in a good, I want to learn and do the gig. Um, is there anything you'd want to like try to warn them about or talk to them about in terms of what to expect, like what the bulk of the job might be or what the harder aspects of the job might be? The way I describe our job is like uh, the music supervisor is sort of navigating the world of licensing for our filmmakers, and, and you know, they don't really understand how song rights work and so your my job is to like help them you know get what they want and have their vision you know just like a set designer would be um, creating um, you know designs but they're in collaboration with the showrunner um, same with the music supervisor it's not just up to us it's like you're 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 interviewing quizzing your filmmakers and figuring out where they come from and what they what they're looking for, and then you try to help their vision come to life. And by by having the, a deep connection with the licensing community and getting things done, whether it's getting the song they want at the right price or offering alts that are affordable, um, that's a huge part of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would love. I wish I brought. Okay, I have it on my phone. But this this list of things that we have to do that you would never imagine. Like, <laughs> I need Beyonce. Or, do you remember that list? It was like on somebody's Instagram. It was so funny. So the, I'll, the low profile. I, yes. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So oh, funny. Okay. Um, yeah. I might have it on my phone conveniently. If we'll see. But my phone's over there. But um, there's just like yeah. There's a lot, and I think you also touched upon a, a good, another common misconception that we should, that I always talk about is that we have creative control. We do not at all. We are option providers. Um, I wish we had creative control. I, yeah, but we lead the horse to water, but we can't, you we, know. We, we cannot select for them. Take your song or, or buy your you song. You can write pleading yeah. emails, like explaining why this is the song you should select and and uh, they'll still choose Queen so uh, well, that leads pretty well into my next question which is um, how do you typically get on board a project like at this stage in your career are you getting to kind of pick and choose a little bit who you work with and what scripts you work with and if so what are kind of the the attributes or the qualities that you look for before you sign on like you're hoping that the producers are nice and, and cooperative and you know them or you've heard good things or you'll call around and ask uh, or you're just like, well, we've got a, a good sized budget so I'll have a lot of room to play with or it's just a new area of like music that you could explore or get into. Are there certain things that you guys try to seek out? Like when you, when you have I look for women. I've, Great I've had a decade or more of working with mostly men so when it's a woman-led project, I, I get very excited. Um, I don't necessarily look for women. Um, I, I, you know, um, for me, it's just a lot of relationships and, um, uh, but also I'm looking, it's, it's my mood in the moment. Like, do I have enough time? Am I, you know, how, how busy is our slate at the moment? And, and what are the relationships I have? Like, I would hate to pass on something that is from somebody I know and have worked with and love because those relationships are super, super important. Um. And then just the material, you know, if it's if it's something cool. I mean, I love to be doing all different types of music in different eras, and and really, that's also if somebody offers something that's completely different, like that's exciting. I I think it's a it's the same. I mean, I think it's if it's somebody that I've worked with before, and you know, I think the the goal is to be their guy. So you know, whatever projects they work on, you kind of come along for the ride. Um, but the other thing is I definitely look through deadline and, um, and the trades to see what projects are coming out. So like for the offer, when that was announced, I called Paramount in like 
0.05 seconds because I love the God. The show is about the making of the Godfather, and I grew up on the Godfather. It's everything to me. And so I kept hounding her, um, uh, the head of Paramount, who's our friend, um, to get me a, a meeting. And then when I did, I was like, so my family will disown me if I don't get this job. So whatever I can do. Um, but it has to be, you know, I definitely, you know, when there's something exciting that I want, you know, my team and I, we have a Google list, a Google Doc of all projects that are coming up that we want to work with, uh, showrunners that we want to work with, who our friends are. Um, I'm so impressed by that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's called wish list. And, um, you know, sometimes we get to cross stuff off, but sometimes it's like, oh, we really want this gig and we talk and it's like, oh, somebody else has it. So it's like, okay, like kindred. Yeah, that's an exciting one. Um, yeah, I will say women, but I, d I do think relationships, like you guys both mentioned, like if I, I want to do everything with Noah Hawley, he's the one that gave me my yeah. chance at Duplass Brothers and, yeah. and Sam Esmail, who are all dudes. Also, it is about time, and it, I think it's nice. I think all three of us are at a point in our career that we can say no to stuff, which is a really nice place to be in. And um, I like to say no to assholes. <laughs> That's nice one people is number nice one people. criteria. Yes. Like, you're going to live with these people for nine plus months. And be told what to do by them. Yeah. And, be, and like, yeah, it's, it, it's an industry that you can get disrespected quite easily and and yeah so it's nice to um be in a position finally to be able to to work with people you want to work with so. uh so kind of jumping off that a little bit um you don't have to name any names and this isn't like a horror story competition or anything but i was curious when you when you're working with a showrunner when you're working with a producer or writer and they have their heart set on a song or a, a cue or anything that they just have to get in there and it can't be done like you've done the legwork you've looked at all the options how do you talk to them about it? Like, do you have kind of a, a methodology in your head? Like, do you have, like, kind of a common, like, I'm going to show up with all these alts. I'm going to show up with, like, I'm going to start with, you know, maybe it could happen, but really try to focus on this. How do you kind of approach those difficult conversations? I mean, I will say that I'm sure you, I do everything in my power. So when I say no, it's like I have stalked them. I have done, like, offered as much money as, like, you do everything. So it's it's rare that you get a no, really. Um, and when you do get that no, I do deliver it with with alts, <laughs> you know, or with uh, ideas. And yeah, uh, but it's uh, you hate to disappoint some someone who has their heart set on something. It's it's um yeah, it's a, I hate it when it happens, but it doesn't happen very often. I'll I'll have them write a letter because yeah. then if they if <laughs> if the uh, showrunner show like if the showrunner the... the director writes a letter and then it's still a no. It's not all on you. It's not, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you, it's really hard to tell them the news. And yeah, tell them the news with alternatives. Um, but also sometimes you just have to like be a big girl and yeah. like tell them. You know, it's like so painful, but you just have to rip off the band-aid. Well, I wanted to get like start getting into the closing credits because that's part of the theme of what we're here to talk about today. To kind of start with, I guess, is there just, is there a typical, in your experience, is there kind of a typical way a closing credit song is chosen? Like, are, are most closing credit songs written into the script? Is that rarely written into the script? Or is it always just kind of a, a different journey, depending on, on what you're doing? I, it's a different journey each time, I think. I don't know. Sometimes it's written into the script. Sometimes it's, hey, you know, Nobody's going to watch the end credits because they're going to be forced to go to the next episode. So, so let's do you know either nothing or or a score. Um, it just depends on the network. I mean, you guys, what do you think? I feel like HBO might be the only one that still has like featured end credits. Is that? Can you think of anybody else? I know. I think people still try to do it. I think filmmakers and the still try. Filmmakers want it. They want it, but but it we we get minimized immediately. It's a waste of money. I I, I always yeah. sort of. Uh, argue against it. Um, I do it on the grave. The, one of the shows. The closing? Yeah. Specifically, the closing is what they argue. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just the you're saying specifically they argue against the closing as being like a waste of. of money. I argue against it. I oh, say it's a waste, except for a show like The Great, which is we. It's basic. It's kind of period, and so like their songs really aren't going to work in the in the in this storyline. So we end with sort of something encapsulates the episode. Um, but uh, even then. 
I think the audience probably only gets five to 10 seconds of it. So I will say that End Songs Now, it's about the first, when I listen, it's about the first five to 10 seconds of a song. Yeah, and so that's the only similarity in how I search for a song for the end of an episode is how it starts. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot for a lot of the streamers, we just will go with score because again, it's like you know Netflix, it's five, four, three, two, one, next episode. So you know we'd rather spend money, but sometimes you know with with Euphoria and Atlanta FX does end credits. Yeah. You know, and those can kind of be anything. I mean, you know for the first episode of Euphoria that had everything from like, you know, Harry Nielsen to, you know, we just ended it with Cutting Crew just because it was like, this is cool. <laughs> but then sometimes it is more intentional to kind of wrap up. I think um, a lot of times we, you know, we'll have songs created for the show and sometimes it's hard um, to kind of necessarily find the spot for them, at least again, in my experience with Euphoria, um, sometimes it just doesn't, the song won't work anywhere, but it's a beautiful song and we want to use it, so then we'll just put it in the end credits because that's just a nice way to kind of tie up the show. Could you just explain really quick what you mean by featured credits? You said HBO was one of the few that still had featured end credits like as an option. It just means they give the time to the credits that, that the credits deserve. I hate that streamers do that. I mean, I feel like so many people work so hard on, um, on these programs and, and no one gets to see the credits. And I also think it's a, it's a good time. I mean, the reason end credit songs have become so powerful is it's the time to process what you just experienced. And, um, and it's nice to have a little time to sit with, sit with what you just experienced. And I, I hate that they pull us out of it so quickly. So feature credits, so there's only, there's like HBO still will allow a longer crawl before they go into the next one. Everyone should gather together to try to get rid of the skip credits button both at the start and at the end of episodes. It's yeah. just such a, yeah. such a burden. I think it's algorithm based, like, yeah. you know, yeah. data shows, I don't know. There, there, a lot of people, it feels like they're very used to watching the same show over and over again. So like if you're watching The Office for the zillionth time, it's like, well, I just need to get to the next one so that like the rhythm doesn't break. But well, how I think does they're that so afraid to... that they're not going to go to the next episode. Yeah. Like just like 10 seconds is going to make us not want to see what happens next. Right, right, I don't right, 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 right. <laughs> it also, it also Not a lot of faith in us as filmmakers. <laughs> And it also bums me out, especially with something like Euphoria. A lot of the HBO shows, Station Eleven, um, at the end of a lot of episodes, they have kind of a, a behind-the-scenes like whole thing about what went into it, like trying to give you at least a little bit of information about how they made this really impressive episode. And if you if you just let it do the skip, it's gone, and that's that's a bummer as well. All right, so uh, I wanted to ask a little bit about budgets. Um, I was I wasn't sure where. Does it change how much a song costs based on where it's put in the episode? Like where you use it in the episode? Like do the closing credits cost more or less? Uh, and how does that tend to work out, I guess? Yeah, that's the other thing about end credits is they cost more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's different prices for different uses, um, different lengths. And a visual vocal, usually when it's tied to picture and it's married, like you can't really take it out or change the song after it's it's like somebody's singing along, then um, that costs more. Yeah, I think you cover, I mean, it's it also, they, they price it depending on our budget. It's kind of like a sliding scale. So, you know, I mean, maybe not for TV, but like for movies, depending on the budget of your movie, yeah. the songs will cost different. A lot of variation. There's no like black and white song, like what is this song? I, and I think there's filmmakers no, expect no you, list. how People much think, does this song yeah. cost? Yeah, 120K, every situation. Yeah. yeah, I get like, here's 40 songs. How much do they all cost? I'm like, um. Give me two weeks, at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have an idea at this point? Like when you, when there's yeah. a specific song or use that's, okay, so you've got a general kind of. Based on past, yeah. Or our community experience. too, you yeah. know, like, hey, you know, you've cleared this song for this show. How much did you pay for it? You know, like just bouncing it off of each other. But it's yeah. based on the length of the use. Like it yeah. could have been 10 seconds in your show and three minutes in mine, totally different price. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when it comes to kind of where you want to use the songs, like I know, Maggie, you mentioned how like sometimes the closing credits, depending on the project, it can just cost too much and be a bit of a waste. But do you try to prioritize certain episodes other over other episodes? Like as a premiere closing credit song, like a, a, a more important thing because it's the first time they've seen it and you want to leave them on a, on a certain feeling, on a high, on, on you know, like a, a tone of the show, or is it just kind of more based on, you know, what the episode needs? 
I think both. Definitely, it's mostly both based on what an episode needs. Um, but typically, the you front load the first few episodes of a show, and then the back few episodes. So, like, uh, especially in a new show, the pilot. I, I'm sure you guys have noticed the pilot will have like 20 songs, and then the rest of the season it'll have three. That's because we blow our whole budget on the pilot. Yeah. yeah. And that's like that's something that's kind of encouraged in the industry because yes. it's such an important episode. Like they need people to latch I mean, onto it right then. It's instructed. It's not encouraged. It's instru- okay. <laughs> yeah. Better better work. Again, no creative control. <laughs> Again, I don't I don't want to try to like name names or out anything, but like can you give an example of the high end of what this might cost? Like of, of what a what a certain song might cost in terms of just like you know, you've you've seen it. You can't believe they paid for it, but they did. And again, you don't have to name shows. Just maybe a price or a range. Well, I think I think, you know, I'll say this to showrunners. You know, if it's a recognizable song, it's going to be expensive. So when I'm on spotting sessions, and a showrunner will be like, you know, like I had a situation with Mr. Sandman. They're like, why is it so expensive? And I said, sing it. <laughs> and they sang it without skipping a beat. It's like. That's why it's expensive. So, you know, there's obviously the anomalies, but I think everybody, you know, knows Lady Gaga's expensive. You know, the stones are crazy expensive. So I think that, um, you know, and then there are some songs that you wouldn't think would be expensive, but they are. But that's, again, you know, more of the you know, uh, the experience we have. But, you know, TV is obviously different from film on a on a price level, as Maggie mentioned. Just that sometimes songs, you, you yeah, you wouldn't think they're so expensive, but, like, they have really, you know, famous songwriters yeah, behind yeah. them. So it's not just about the artist. It's also about the writers who wrote the song. Yeah. I mean, it's it's their art. My least favorite thing is when you tell a price to a showrunner and they're like, why do they deserve that oh, kind yeah. of money? Yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. just like, but I mean, a price tag for TV is mostly a range between like five and 100K. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just recently paid close to a million for one song in one movie. So music is expensive. <laughs> and um, in TV, I my new line, <laughs> 40, uh, 50 is the new 40. Yeah. Because <laughs> 40,000 used to cover like most famous songs. But I don't know if it's because of COVID. Yes, or it what. is. I feel like but everything's the, more expensive. Yeah, these everything yeah. now, the prices are going up, yeah. and, and our budgets are, are going <laughs> down. <laughs> oh, wait, how how would COVID affect the price of? They're a trying song? to make up for two years. They're just trying to. They just yeah, have less money, so they want to make more money where they can. Yeah. I just oh, also wow. think the publishers with some of these big songs, they can command it. Yeah. There's so much content. They're gonna get their song in something. Someone's gonna pay. So. Yeah, and if a show, if they want it bad enough, they'll pay for it. That's their their yep. stance. But it's, true. it's yeah, but it's hard. It's 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 hard for us because we work with what we have. It's not like if we come in under budget, we get to pocket that money, <laughs> you know. And we never come in under budget. Never, That's impossible. Never, never. And and if and they do say yeah, if they really want it, they'll pay for it. But that's only if, like, the Netflix exec wants it. I right. mean, it's not right. if the, you know. Right. Wow. That's, yeah, that's very <laughs> <laughs> interesting. All right, so let's get into a few examples, if we can. Um, I wanted to talk, Maggie, a little bit about how the dropout, how the dropout ended. Uh, it ended with North American Scum closing its premiere. And as you kind of talked about, like, there's a lot of music in that premiere. But... Um, what were the kind of conversations about using that song and what went into, is that a diff- difficult one to get? Was that something that was very common? How did you uh, feel about using that in, in the dropout? Uh, I liked that ending. It wasn't my selection. Um, I forget what I wanted. Um, I want, yeah. Um, but I, uh, it wasn't a hard song to clear. They're, they're, they're pricey, as they should be. They demand um, a top dollar. Uh, that show was fun to work on. Liz was, um, Liz Merriweather, the creator, was um, obsessive to the point of we tried out so many songs for every spot. I honestly don't remember every song, you know, that like was in contention. The ending we ended with St. Vincent. I do remember the song that was in contention. The other ending was uh, Kanye West's uh, song Jail. And I remember I wrote her an email saying like, Kanye's in the news every day. He's super problematic. Like, do we want, like, we don't know what's going to happen from now until the show airs. Like, what could Kanye do? And, um, and, and a lot happened. 
<laughs> but she she didn't she didn't respond to that even. <laughs> and then Kanye didn't clear. And you know Elizabeth Holmes is very problematic. So in a way they they worked well together. So how often do you have to have those kind of conversations with your showrunners about kind of the reputations or like I mean obviously Kanye is famous enough where a lot of people Everyone probably is. knows. No, I try to bring it up if okay. someone has any sort of problem in the news I I, I, I'd, I hate to license dr. Luke so I mean I just I bring it up every time I feel like For it's me, our responsibility I um, I don't pay as much attention <laughs> to the news as I should especially music news but um, I find that my showrunners are way more aware of it than I am I had a showrunner um, recently ask about a Chris Brown song and I was like that I was like drop out I was like mm-hmm. What about these? <laughs> and she was kind of, and then it kind of, she was like, oh, yes, okay, yeah, no, let's go with one of those. But on the other hand, like, there are certain artists that, like, I just won't pitch because of something I read. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And I probably shouldn't name names. No, 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 I'm not, yeah, we don't. And you can't catch everything. Yeah. I mean, these days, like, I'm sorry, who's going to license a Marilyn Manson song now? No yeah. way. I feel sad because I loved <laughs> Ryan Adams. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I sometimes can separate artists from art. Like with Michael Jackson, I still, but maybe that's because I have nostalgia for him and I, you know, listened to him for so long before. I, I don't know. It's hard. And I, I, on like my Spotify playlists and stuff that I love to do, I don't really discriminate that much. Well, it's different listening for pleasure just for yourself yeah. versus giving yeah. them money and, and yeah. presenting them a platform. I feel like that's a very different. With those kind of conversations, it is helpful in the sense to ha- to be able to talk it out like you do have the other person there in the room to kind of have that conversation with are they generally receptive to hearing that is it like you just said like everybody's going to have a personal preference and kind of just decide for themselves or is it generally like if you bring up those things people want to steer away from them it, it it depends it depends on the showrunner it depends on their mood moods but i think at this point it's like there's some shame involved like i feel like if you call it out they can't yeah, be like yeah. i still want that rapist you know like because they'll also yeah, they will also the other thing too it's kind of the power of social media too they'll get dragged yeah. Yeah. uh well to kind of steer in a different direction um i mean not on purpose we can talk about this as long as anybody wants and we are going to have an audience Q&A, so if you have specific questions about any of these topics, throw them out there. Um, but I did want to ask about uh, when you're working on a project that is, I mean, The Great is a historical show, uh, but obviously the music cues at the end are a little bit different. Um, but when you're working with something that is going to try to be period appropriate with the music selections, is that something that's that's exciting? Like, is that something that you guys look forward to to try to, and do you want to try to find stuff that isn't as familiar, or is it just... You know, I mean, a lot. I'm sure a lot of pitches go to the bigger names that really define the era. But uh, like with, I mean, with something like Gaslit, I love Gaslit. I think that show is so good. Um, I felt like there was a lot of stuff that I wasn't necessarily familiar with. What was that kind of like for you when you went into the project? I mean, if it were my show, I would like to go more obscure and and you know capture the sound of the '70s, but go with stuff that no one's heard before. It depends on the showrunner, you know. But luckily with Gaslit, uh, they the the showrunner mostly wanted to do that, and also our budget al- didn't allow for anything else. <laughs> so it was constantly trying to find more obscure uh, gems. Um, but I love a period piece because you have parameters, and uh, I love discovering songs that I never knew existed, and and then introducing the audience to them. It's one of my favorite things to do. You know, some shows are super rigorous about time period and um, location and stuff. Like, I feel like Narcos, we made it, like, by the book, you know. Mm-hmm. Everything was explicitly within the time frame. But there's a lot of shows that take liberties with it, and it's a stylistic choice. It's it's just a choice that you make. You know, I'm working on a show that takes place in 2007, but, you know, 2008 is kind of okay, but they are worried about... Twitter and yep. social yep. media afterward. Yep. And, and then, like, when you can't afford all these big songs and you have to use library, well, does that library come from 2007? Now, that's a new challenge. So I think yeah. I'm trying to find 2007 library, which is totally there. But, you know, anyway. Do you notice that more? Like, do you feel like um, with social media, with just the, the, the way that people have access to shows these days, that they're paying much more attention to, you know, things being accurate quote-unquote like is that a yeah yeah they're brutal I try not my team forwards me shit I'm like I don't want to see this but (laughs) there was we put a wolf parade song in the in the pilot of dropout the first and it was I think set in 2004 
or it was set in 2002, but this song came out in 2004. And we actually told production, we were like, the song is not, it's two years yeah. late or two years early. And they were like, we don't care. And then the freaking lead singer of Wolf Parade like called us out on it and he was really pissed. And, and I was embarrassed because I was a huge fan of the band. But yeah, he, really? yes, he was an yeah, asshole about funny. it. I know, I know. Everybody's when was the last time people talked about Wolf Exactly. <laughs> That's fun too, yeah. And you don't get to really you know, step out there and be like, listen, I didn't do this. There's I know, I wanted mean. to respond. I, I was like, look, I wanted to respond and be like, look, I told them, you know, yeah. yep. don't engage. Uh, well, with that, with that in mind, uh, I think with something like Yellow Jackets, Jen, is that is that something that you have to consider as well? When you know, when people watch that show, they're looking for hints and clues and trying to put puzzle pieces together. And you know, whether it's the end credits or other songs in the episode, they might be looking at those lyrics or you know something about the band to tip them off to something that's coming or or an extra meaning or a deeper level. Is that a conversation you have to have with the writers, like with the showrunners, or is that just too like too deep out there for you to worry about? I, I love reading what they thought went into putting the song in. It's like, oh yeah, God, you know, wow, I did that. No, um, I not really. Um, I think at the end of the day, for for us, it's just it's so much about the song and how the song functions in the scene. And if it is a wink and a nod, and, and whether that's intentional or not, it does all you know kind of come back to the song itself. Um, but no, I didn't. And when I was you know offering five options for this and that, I didn't think about that. But people want to think I'm that smart. <laughs> Do you mean like Easter egg type yeah, yeah, yeah. uses? I find a lot of Easter eggs are planted by the writers mm. because they just know the story so deeply. Um, you know, it's so hard for me to like say, oh, like, you know, we're gonna have the whole egg theme coming up later in the season, so let's do a song about eggs early in the show. I, I didn't, that wasn't my idea. I mean, it did happen, so that was it great. It happened, but it wasn't, you know, necessarily. <laughs> yeah, that was, I believe that was Damon who wanted yeah, that, yeah. who made sure that was uh, uh, considered. Um, okay, so Jen, I also wanted to ask just, how much does the process change in terms of clearances, in terms of getting music when you're using a song that is, you know, uh, unrelated to the show or unrelated to people who work on the show versus like in Euphoria when you're working on a song from Labyrinth when he's like actually working on Euphoria and then you're going to use his song at the end of episode like episode two, three. I think, or episode three was a Labyrinth song. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how much does the process change with that? Like, I would assume it would be easier because he's there to get that song, to use a Labyrinth song, but I, I don't know. Well, Labyrinth is our composer. Yeah. So everything that he does, you know, he's just constantly creating music, sometimes to picture, sometimes not, just constantly feeding our editors music. And Yeah, I Fucking Did It was one of the songs, and, you know, we just kind of got it, and we're like, this is amazing, let's use it everywhere. No, we used it in the end credits, and then I think we used a lot of the stems in, in five, um, the Rue Run episode. Um, but, you know, but then we had in, in four, I'm Tired, and that was something, you know, Labyrinth had this season, he had a studio on set, so, and that was like the cool place to hang out, so everybody would go there, which made it a nightmare when found out that Zendaya wrote some of the song. <laughs> Um, so it's just, you know, it's just part of, it's just part of the creative process. And then we get this amazing song that we get to use and, um, you know, same thing with Elliot's song, like they just went in and were kind of hanging out and then this song was created. Um, and then, you know, the editors got it and we just put it in. So it was, it's just a constant creating and feeding music. That's, I mean, is, is that exciting? Like, does that? Yeah. Okay. Like, that's oh, a yeah, satisfying it's amazing part of for you to, to like be able to. Yeah. No. When we get, you know, a new labyrinth song, you know, it's 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 we're a new batch of music. It's very exciting to see what he did, and um, you know, with with I'm tired. When we finally got that, like, it's I think I got it on my phone, and I was just like, you know, listening to it as soon as as soon as it came in my inbox. So you know, hearing what he's doing is is fantastic. Yeah, my favorite part of the job, I think, is working with composers 
and being in the studio with them and, and talking. I, I love that so much, the, the creation part. And then creating originals or, or doing covers for anything that's creation is my favorite part. Yeah, and I think that's something that doesn't go acknowledged enough, really, because that is a big part of your job, or it can be a big part of your job, to create music you know, where, where it's needed. And is that typically a situation where, you know, it's, it's, it's filling a gap, like it's filling a need, or is that something that's written into the script and they say, listen, we need a song here, can you come up with something? Or is it something you pitch? Like how does the creation element usually come in when it's something that you're kind of building or orchestrating on your I th- own? I think it's all of the above and then more. It just depends. Um, we, there's a new show on Apple Plus TV called Shining Girls. Um, where we end it show. with, I'm really, yeah, I love this show so much. And um, the ending, we have uh, Angel Olsen does a cover of one of my favorite Bob Dylan songs. Um, and it's a beautiful cover. I was really proud of that. But it came because uh, the it's a very complicated and, and challenging show to watch. And you don't really fully understand everything that's going on. And at the end, the network wanted a voiceover. They wanted the, uh, Elizabeth Moss to sort of sum up the show with a with a voiceover, and she flat out refused to do it. And and uh, I applaud her for it because that's what she does in Handmaid's Tale. And it was already like drawing comparisons to Handmaid's because she's a survivor. Um, so she was like, "I'm not going to do a, vo- a voiceover." Uh, and so the next thing was like, "Well, then find a song that will sum up the entire show." And and uh, I was like, "I'm not going." <laughs> I'm not going to be able to just find. So we talked about doing original, and then I suggested cover, and it grew from there. But yeah, just it depends. But that was my most recent memory of how that happened. Find a song that will sum up the entire show. Perfect. It's a like sci-fi thriller revenge show. Yeah, that, yeah. Like yeah. No problem. Well, uh, to, and I want to get to audience questions. We're going to get to that uh, in just a second. So if you have if you have um, questions ready, just raise your hand, and uh, I'll get a microphone to you. Um, but right before we do that, you're up first. Um, Liza, I did want to ask with Station Eleven, it's such a it's such a tricky tonal show because it is, um, you know, kind of superficially an ap- apocalyptic, darker story. But it is hopeful, like, and that hope is integrated into it. Um, I love the closing song. I love the Sonny and Cher, United We Stand as a closer. But was there anything that you used to kind of steer yourself in the right direction with that? Like, how do you kind of keep the tone as needed throughout a series like that where they are purposefully trying to kind of upend expectations a little bit with what, you know, the genre is? Like, was there anything that used as a guidepost or just a Um, lot of conversations with Patrick? Yeah, yeah, just a lot of collaboration. I mean, he's the guy with the tone, and, um, you know, so I just follow his lead. You know, I compare... Station Eleven, Leftovers, Watchmen, they're kind of in the same um, DNA in that they're all very eclectic. And they're all, you know, scene by scene in terms of song choices. It's not like Narcos, which is a certain thing, you know, like a just, or or parenthood or something, which is like a very specific thing. Um, But still the tone has to survive and be there. And I just think you get, you, you take your musical cues literally from what you're seeing the level of irony, the level of humor. Is it black and white humor or is it complex? Um, and I feel like songs are that way, um, that they should, you know, if you're working on a very mainstream show, then the songs should feel that way too, you know, or, you know, so whatever, I feel like I take, I try to take music, song, ideas, just try them against picture and just, you know, it depends on what's going on. So many things. The color of the photography, the choices of the um, the casting choices, how adventurous. And there's so many different cues. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And I, I think that grouping also makes a lot of sense in terms of, like, how they hold together and, and the, the tonal both balance and imbalance. But, all right, I've talked enough. Let's get to your questions. Um, I think we had a very eager person right here. Earlier, y'all were talking about obtaining rights to certain songs for going into a series. What happens if you find a song that you love and the band doesn't exist anymore, the label doesn't exist anymore? How do you get the rights to that song? Like, What kind of avenues do you go through to try to achieve getting that one song? I mean, we do by any means necessary. Like, I think, I mean, social media, you, you stalk, like, you find people through Facebook or Instagram or tw- I mean uh, yeah I most even ju- even though a band is you know yeah. no longer together someone owns it there's plenty of ways to find them 
like an indie, like think a lot of indie bands kind of just fold because they don't get that big. And I'm sorry for double barreling this, but like say that band does fold and like the label goes under and you try to find someone. So you find the band member on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or get a subscription to whitepages.com or find, you know, which I do, and you just figure Call out. funeral parlor yep, for their records. obituaries. Yes, yep, whatever. and you just, you'll find them. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, you go on to Google, you're, you're on Google page five and six and seven. You don't just stop at page one. Again, because we don't want to tell filmmakers no. Like, yeah. Add detective to the, to the yes. list of things that you guys do. All right, um, you've got the mic. Let's go over here. I'm sorry, I, I made sure that you were... You were going to get your question answered. You're so eager, so ready. I believe it. I believe it. Uh, I'm wondering about the the trend that happens every once in a while where, like, one song is on every show. And I have a very particular example because it has bothered me for 15 years. Uh, it is it is Young Folks by Peter Bjorn and John. And I know it was on, I just looked it up. It was on, like, 12 shows in about tw 2006 to 2008. And it was, like, it opened Gossip girl and it was on Grey's Anatomy and I don't expect you to know that song or anything in particular I'm just wondering about like why does every show want the same song that most people like it comes out of nowhere and most people have never heard of it well that's a little harsh I don't I mean I don't think everybody wants that song um I think it's just you know it happens. It's it, again. It's coming from the showrunner. I know yeah. that's not some like I don't ever want to sync that song. Like there's definitely songs that I'm like, I don't want to touch that one. Like the, your yeah. um, your Kate Bush, yeah. in Handmaid's Tale. I will never. I don't. I mean, I love that song. I pitched running up the devil for the end, and then it became this woman's work under the hanging scene. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. This woman. I mean, and it I was know just, people had. You know, Issues with it, which I understood. What are they? Oh, mean? you don't want to touch it because I used so it. Because it's so beautiful. Oh, it's such, thanks. Like, there's, I there's, had a lot of trouble with. <laughs> I had trouble with the use because I thought it was problematic. I, yeah, we don't have to talk about that. But yeah, I, there are some songs that I will never touch. Yeah. But you and I just had a song that everyone was talking oh, about. The, the Katy Perry. The Katy Perry. <laughs> and I think it's because we were just both doing period yeah, from that I mean, and yeah and it's like zeitgeist like I had no clue until I watched your show same, that you had used people it people yeah. were like I mean it was two different Katy Perry yeah. songs I mean we had roar but no we we had roar didn't no, we, we had, no I had roar. no because it, it was roar an episode did you yeah the the uh, the dropout was roar yeah what did I haven't we crashed oh god was it wasn't it roar I thought it was you did, yeah. Yeah. yes yeah. it was roar <laughs> But there have also been like big moments. Like you had the the score played it. Like they. Well, we had yeah. that was actually like factually true that Adam Newman <laughs> would come into WeWork and they would have to blast Katy Perry. So roar. So that's kind of you, you know had that, to, that yeah. was in the script from day one. But and yeah, then Katy Perry was in my script too. But, but it's period. I mean, I don't know that you know we don't know what everybody's working. That's the thing on, is like yeah, you have no clue until it comes out. Like what's yeah. I remember when that song came out and um, I used it probably at least four of those. Twelve. <laughs> But it wasn't intentional, and sometimes, you know, you get a lot, we get a lot of songs pitched to us, and I, I feel like, what year was that? 2006. Okay, 2000. so, yeah, so yeah. I remember, that, that was kind of like a big sink, where uh, people are going, oh, this is the only way to make money, and the music industry is sinks, you know, you're, there's no more CD sales, and, you know, the music industry is dying, which course we all know it isn't um, but so we got to get syncs and so they're pushing syncs but here's a super syncable song that song was it worked with a lot of different types of scenes you know so so it got used a lot so like let's say I'm working on say two or three four shows and um, you know oh that's my new favorite song and I'm pitching it across the board I don't expect it to land in more than one opportunity, but sure enough, there it is in two shots. It's very frustrating, but it just happens. I think it's a coincidence, but it's also there's certain songs that just show up everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Like there was a year, I don't know, it was like four or five years ago that every single showrunner wanted to put Billie Eilish in. I mean, oh, yeah. it was right, oh, yeah. right before oh, yeah. she blew up and they thought they were so, so cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I was like, Created. every single fucking person is putting that song. But do you I, do you ever pitch the same song for like multiple shows and then if I tell them I I'm like oh that just to, got into I do. yeah I do especially if if it's like if it's in my little 
um, you know, secret weapon yeah, folder, yeah, 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 and yeah, then yeah. like nobody's bought it for like years, I and know. I suddenly get two things on it. I'm like, weird. Yeah. Uh, well, as a critic, I will say the leftovers theme comes up in so many shows, especially in temp tracks, oh, and it, it feels so oh, manipulative. Like no, it just. Do you mean the the score? Yeah, the you score. Mean the Max yeah, Richter. Yeah, yeah. I mean that does too. That does too. But the score, yeah, Max Richter. Same with Social Network. Um, yeah. Score and John know. Bryan. I mean. Yeah, I, yeah there's I mean, a lot yeah. of scores. Some that of it's temp. just like the tone is just so. We're going to go right behind because you've been pretty eager as well. You guys have talked a lot about the struggles that sometimes insist when you're trying to get a song. But I'm also curious, have you ever had artists that are such big fans of a particular project that they lobby you to try and get their music in? I, 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 yeah. I, I, I do get a lot of artists for uh, approaching me for Euphoria. <laughs> I get a lot of people for handmaids, or I used to. All right, let's go to the, the back row right there, yeah. Uh, first of all, I wanted to say it's amazing to see three incredibly talented women in front of us. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Um, I, this is sort of a general question. I'd be very interested to know what your musical background is. Do you play musical instruments? And how, when you, when you read a script, how do you approach musicality and the rhythm and the beats of the script? Was it something you learnt or were you taught? Uh, I'm not a musician. I'm not very musical. I'm tone deaf. <laughs> uh, I have a background in visual art and painting, um, but I've been a fan my whole life. Uh, when I read, I, it's about the story. It's about the characters. I uh, attack each project with a character playlist. That's how I start. Um, and then it's just instinct, what works. I think Liza said we throw up so many different songs and then it just becomes like what, you have to watch it to picture to see what happens and see if magic is made. I don't know, do you guys have a music background? I don't no, I, I got my start as a music publicist. Okay. I did PR for, for rock bands for years before I decided I wanted to do this. I sort of do. I mean, I, I went to Interlochen Music Camp when I was a kid. Um, I have a musical theater background acting, I, I direct, I mean, sorry, I um, have a degree in acting, and then I started DJing. So for me, I um, came, I, I DJed for like 35 years or something, so that was kind of trying to figure out how to make a living out of my passion, which is DJing, and then um, finding music supervision and evolving from, oh, just, you know, super creative job to business and running a business and running my team. Um, and then just to your question about uh, uh, how do you decide or whatever, for me and I and I and the group of wonderful people that work with me, um, I just always tell them, and I try to do this too, just instinct, but like just be judgy, like be mean to songs, like don't be nice, don't think, oh, this song is, I don't love it, but you know, it's got this cool um, flute whatever if you don't like it you don't like it and and if you and nobody else is gonna probably like it like you have to just like be discriminating when it comes to songs and have an opinion speak your opinion speak up it took me a while to figure yeah. that out yeah, like it, it, and, and, then, and then after a while you go like yeah no yes no it, yeah it's a lot easier when you trust yourself yeah. but in the beginning you're just trying to like you're trying to figure out what you like you know it takes a while I think we have time for maybe one or two more. Let's just go straight up here. I have a really specific question for Jen. Um, with Euphoria, love, love the show, and I, I love the music on the show. One thing that has always stood out to me is the fact that, you know, they're teenagers in, the, in 2020, 21, 22, but a lot of the music, a lot of the hip-hop is late 90s, mm -hmm. um, early 2000s, which is my era, so I love it. Um, but it's always interesting to me that that is kind of a very dominating um, kind of genre or dominating um, time period. So I just wonder if you could talk about that. Let's just kind of the creative decision behind that. Um, it's a good question. I definitely got dragged on Twitter for that. Um, but they're, they're amazing songs. They're timeless songs. Why wouldn't kids be listening to that music now? Why is that so like foreign to to people or like uh, like unbelievable? Like they wouldn't be listening to this. It's like, okay, A, how do you know? And B, 
why not? Like, why wouldn't they? I mean, they're, they're timeless songs in the same way that, you know, I'm sure we've all had to license, you know, like Bob Dylan songs and other songs that are timeless that might not be in the same time period or that, that they're just dope songs that we wanted to put in the show and not have, you know, I think music today also like a lot of, I think a lot of music is, is we're missing those bangers. To, to your point, I'm just, <laughs> Like, we're, we're missing it. Like, where is the, like, some I, of those songs I'm today? personally a fan of trap music and drill, but I have so much trouble getting anyone to put it in any scenes. I think it's also, like, you know, when we did season one of Euphoria, we had a whole party episode. And it was like, if we had contemporary like trap shit throughout the whole thing it would become white noise and it would become annoying and it wouldn't like it, it just wouldn't matter and every song choice that we put in euphoria and all in all of our shows it's very intentional and th it has there's a reason why it's there and if it just becomes again like like just nothing in the background then why even why even do it i i, I it, it was something that i was like well, why not why why? And, and, and also, it's now, like, now there's a whole new generation of kids that are going to be listening to Tupac. Yeah. So, and it's either, like, that's a good thing, I think, because I got some very interesting DMs about why that's a bad thing, and I'm like, okay, so if you're 16, you shouldn't be listening to Tupac, or you can't, or, you know, he and his estate and his family wouldn't want that legacy to live on. Listen, Twitter's great. Uh, there's only good people on Twitter, so let's just keep that in mind. Um, we, we have we have to wrap. Does anybody have a very quick question? Uh, Maggie, you were saying about character playlists. Do you come up with a playlist for each character in a piece? Yeah, each each main character, like based on where they were born, when they were where where they were born, when they were born, what they go on their journey. Um, yeah. Ten to a hundred? It depends. That's my fun. I mean, that's the beginning part of it, and then I pull from that for the rest of the season. So. Do you give those to the actors? Do they? Do you yeah. Share those? That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks everybody for coming out. Please give a hand, Maggie Phillips, Jim Malone, Liza Richardson. Wonderful people. Wonderful time. You have been listening to the TV Campfire Podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland, and produced and edited by Sarah Light. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 11 in Austin, Texas, between June 2nd and 5th, 2022. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.